You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Finish Line Faith and our sermon text from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Please open your Bibles if you haven't already to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're looking at verses 6 to 8. And again, I love our sermon title this week and because... Isn't that the goal of our lives, church? Like, honestly, isn't that the goal of our lives in the end to finish the race well? And of all the things you could accomplish in life and all the things you could say you've done or in a worldly sense, but in the end, as believers in Jesus Christ, listen up carefully, isn't, isn't that the ultimate goal of our lives is to finish the race that God has entrusted and sent us on? And this is Paul's testimony in our passage today. He's like, Timothy, I've done it. By God's grace, I've done it. I finished the race. He's like, and Timothy, and you can too. You can too by the grace of God and strength. But I'm sure Timothy, like us, when he reads this part of this epistle and this letter to him, I'm sure in some form he's asking within, okay, I know I'm supposed to finish well, but how do I finish well? Hey, Paul, what? What makes up a finish line faith? How how come some start the race but don't finish? How come so many get so distracted in the race? Why do others, though, cross the finish line with such strength as we just witnessed in that video? What's the difference between those who falter and those who finish well? That's what the Bible answers for us today. And I'm very expectant for our time in the inerrant, authoritative, and inspired word of God today. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. These verses should be very familiar to you. Look at verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Notice this, this, this tense in the verbs of speaking to the completed event in the past. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me is the promise, but also to all. Notice, here's the condition. To all who have loved his appearing. What an example of finish line faith. Love it so much in this text. What do we learn from this? What do we learn? Number one, we learn this. I'm spurred on by the example of sacrifice that I see in Paul. I'm spurred on by the example of sacrifice to finish well. So look at verse six again. He says, For I am already being poured out, Timothy, as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul is building off of verse 5, of course, with yet another, church, listen, with another statement and sense of urgency. Like, there is so much urgency in this epistle. It's like every phrase Paul is filled with a sense of, again, the importance of the moment and the listening ear of Timothy. And in this sense of urgency now, he says, Timothy, my time to die has come. My life is about to end. 
My departure and its timing has come. Timothy, you're next. It's your turn now. I'm gonna die. You're up. Here's the baton. It's time for you now to also finish this race well. What Paul says in verse five and then verse six, he compares the pouring out of his life and ministry to the pouring out of wine and an Old Testament sacrificial drink offering. That's what's happening in verse six. Such sacrifices among God's people and the Israelites in the Old Testament, they were completely, completely emptied and poured out before the Lord in his sanctuary as an offering. This is powerful. What Paul is saying here is his entire Christian life has been offered as a living sacrifice. He said that in multiple, again, different letters and epistles in different ways. Romans 12, again, we are to be living sacrifices given to the Lord. But this is amazing in verse 6, because now in one final act of sacrifice, and you got to see what he's saying here, this is so amazing, in one final act of sacrifice, he will offer his life, his life to Christ in his death. His last act of sacrificial living is actually sacrificial dying to Christ in worship by his death. He is literally pouring himself entirely out to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can picture maybe right now the the red wine spilling down the altar of sacrifice in the Old Testament forms of offering. The wine dripping red as it is, again, symbolizing, again, the blood. This is how Paul pictured his blood for Christ right here in verse 6. In life and in death was an offering to Jesus. So this is so profound to me. I hadn't seen it this way before when coming upon this text and this detail of study. Again, Paul's death, the death of Paul would be his final act of sacrifice for Christ. As he dies a death of martyrdom, as his blood is shed, he sees that again as an listen to this, as an act of worship for Christ. How would that change a funeral? The final event of his life is his death, and that too is worship in devotion of such sincerity and sacrifice to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a second. What a view of death. To die is to die as an act of worship to Christ. His martyrdom was worship. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. I mean, Paul's example of sacrifice here should spur us on to finish well. It's so profound. I pray it's profound to you today. And you know what it does too? It highlights one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. One of the greatest paradoxes of the Christian life is that 
we actually die to live. We actually lose our life to find it. We actually deny ourselves to find life in Christ. It's actually the last who become first. It's those who humble themselves are the ones who are exalted. The great paradoxes of the Christian life. And Paul is willing to give his entire life to this truth, listen, even in death. Because notice in verse 6, he does not actually call it death. You see that? Look at verse 6. What he says here, he says, the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure. The word departure used in the Greek language was used to describe the loosing of a ship from its moorings or a soldier loosing the stakes of his tent or it pictures a a ship lifting up the anchor and loosing off the ropes in a sense that the time for departure has come. But departure in this sense here, departure here is a sense. The ropes are being loosened. The anchor is being lifted. The stakes of the tent are being raised because it's time for the ship, the sailors, the soldiers, it's time for them to go home. It's time for them to go home. And that truth changes everything, doesn't it? Going home. John Sturber in the video, he said it so well in such a powerful way to end that video. He says, don't be sad. Don't be sad for me. And he says, in fact, be jealous for me. Be jealous for me. Three words. I'm going home. And I believe him. And you know what? I am jealous in many ways. I am jealous of where John is right now. And that's the power of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you pour yourself out to Jesus, you understand what actually awaits you. It's when you know that death actually leads to life. Again, that changes everything. This was the heartbeat of Paul as it is right here. It was Paul who said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It was Paul who said, my desire is to depart, to depart, and to be with Christ, for that is far better. It was Paul who said, our citizenship is in heaven, because heaven is his home. It was Paul who said, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We would rather be away from the body, death, and at home with the Lord, life eternal. And I'm telling you, church, and everyone listening at home right now, Maybe an overflow where you are. Listen, this is why Christians, this is why Christ followers, this is why those of us who are genuinely saved and born again by the Holy Spirit of God, this is why we must live and look differently in our day. We must look different. Because Jesus Christ has saved us from everything. Church, church, in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. The greatest threat of fear in life and in this world is death itself. And that in Christ has been removed from us. We have no reason to fear. Therefore, we must look. We must live differently. And I got to press this point a little bit. 
I gotta press in a little bit of prophetic word right now. I gotta press in and wanna be gracious and humble and merciful and gentle. But at the same time, we cannot walk around and look like the rest of the world living in fear if what is reality for us in Jesus Christ is there is nothing to fear in death itself. There has to be a difference. Paul's life, his whole life shouted this difference out. He was so authentic. He was so vulnerable, so real. The basis of his sacrifice for Christ was the fact, I can't lose. I can't lose. I want to challenge you right now. I do, as I challenge me. We got to look different. We got to live different. With an urgency of that which actually matters most. Departure here is departure to be at home with Christ. Listen, that is why we pour our lives out, to finish well for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you right now, in your life, in the last nine, ten months, in your life, is your life more indicative of sacrifice or selfishness? Go on, answer that. Is it? Which one? Is it sacrifice or selfishness? Is our life more showing a sense of being poured out or self-preservation? It can't be. It can't be self-preservation. It can't be selfishness. I mean, Paul's sitting here and saying, listen, Timothy, man, you want to you want to finish this race and you want to, it's amazing to me, the more we sacrifice, the more the joy. The more we sacrifice, the more the life. The more we die to self, the more we live for Christ. The more we deny ourselves, the more we're filled with his satisfaction in life and glory. It's just the way it works. The more we try to preserve, the more we forfeit for Christ. God help us. Really, God help us. God help us all. We need your strength and spirit. I'm so, so thankful in this one verse in verse six, man, just blasted me in such a great way this week. Even in death, an act of worship for Christ, that's just awesome. The very last thing we do, imagine watching someone go to glory and their last moment is worship in Christ as they die from here to there. Wow! This world is paralyzed with fear of death. And to lie and to face death and to be like this is actually worship in Christ. And that's rare. Finish line faith bolstered through sacrifice. Secondly, I'm inspired by the fight for perseverance. I'm so inspired by the fight for perseverance. Look at verse 7 now. Hey, Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. You know, in, in the days that we live, there are few things I admire more than when people who can say verse 7 with sincerity and authenticity. I have so much admiration and respect for men and women who can get to the end and they can join Paul and say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. The example of men and women of God who are finishing well, it is so precious. Because in the end, again, that is our goal. That we might 
Listen, live well for Christ and die well for Jesus Christ. You know one of the things John Sturba said to me in my office a few months before he passed? He said this in such a profound way. He says, I really believe here at this church and the people around me, I have been discipled and prepared to not just live well, but die well. Just like, wow. That's, that's deep, that's awesome. Not just to live well, I've been prepared to die well for Christ because this world is not our home. Again, is there any greater goal than this? To honestly reach the end and to say, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. You know how many people waste their lives on bad fights? You know how many of us right now are wasting time and destroying relationships because we're fighting bad fights? You know how many of us are so consumed with jealousy and envy and competition and trying to get one up on someone else or we're so fighting the fight of politics or fighting for our own whatever individual achievement or promotion where all these fights around us in the end are so dumb. Let me put it another way. Are so stupid in the end. And you come to the end but you'll say, I fought the good fight. The good fight. Even so many believers are fighting very, very poorly chosen fights. In the end, these fights that add up to nothing. But Paul's like, I fought the good fight. The good fight of the gospel. I want to unpack verse 7 for us here. Notice the three metaphors. They're very obvious. Fighting the good fight, finishing the race, keeping the faith. Listen, this is Paul conveying in three metaphors the struggle of his ministry. The struggles of his life. Even as you look at verse 7 when he comes to the end, church, listen, listen carefully, okay? Look at and listen to what Paul's doing. He's like, life in Christ is tough. Life in Christ is a struggle. Life in Christ is hard. Life in Christ comes with times of agony. If you signed up for Jesus for the easy road, you're not in the right place. This is what Paul's saying. And he starts off by saying, I have fought the good fight. This is Paul likely referring to an athletic contest behind this metaphor. Paul loved his sports. Eh? I mean, you, just, you, you can't deny that. In some way, the guy loved his sports. That's why I love Paul, too. Makes me feel better about what I like. I want you to know here, too, <clears throat> Paul was probably referring to a boxing match or a wrestling match. And in ancient times, just to give you a little context, these were intense competitions. In fact, in these boxing matches, the ancient boxing gloves, they were made uh, on the outside with ox hide, and then in the ox hide, they were sewn in um, iron and lead into the gloves, which they fight with. So in some version, almost, of like brass knuckles, just not quite as severe. That's the intensity of these fighting matches that he's referring to, again, in this metaphor. And you think of the battles that Paul faced, Tony, as he fought the good fight. I mean, just think his testimony as he wrestled against his own sin, as he brawled against Satan time and time again, as he fought against false teachers, as he struggled in his immense personal pains, sufferings, and agony. All that he went through, he was fighting, he was agonizing through this. The times where he was literally left for dead after a stoning. The times where he received, again, the lashes on his back. The times of starvation. The times of sleepless nights. The times of immense, again, rejection and persecution and more physical beatings on top of that. The times of imprisonments. 
man, he fought the good fight. And he fought and he fought and he fought. He struggled through. And he fought for the gospel in front of him because he knew what was coming. And he says right here, though, in verse 7, he's like, Timothy, my fight is finished. I made it. Again, verse 7 is a statement in the verb of what's going to be completed in the past. Timothy, I made it. I fought the good fight. And I won. I won because of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. But I won. But what a battle getting there. What a battle getting there. And then he says, I've, I've finished the race. This is at least the fourth time Paul uses this metaphor of running a race to describe his life in Jesus Christ. Notice here carefully, look at verse 7. Notice Paul does not say that he won the race. In this context, rather, he finished the race. That's the goal of the lives, right? There's so many so hindered in our current race because we spend so much time looking around at others in the race. But we are called, in this case, in the second metaphor, we are called to finish the race. To finish the race well, not to beat others in the race. Church, hear that again. We are called to finish the race. We're not competing with others around us to beat them in the race. As I was writing that this week, I thought of the example in John's gospel in John 21, where Jesus predicts to Peter, he predicts to Peter that he will die a, a death of martyrdom for Jesus Christ. And Peter, understandably, is a little sobered by this. And then he sees the apostle John, and he asks Jesus, looks at John, says, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus, paraphrasing, Jesus says, listen, whatever happens to him, what is that to you? You do what I've asked you. You follow me. Follow your path. Don't look around you at other people are doing. You follow me, Peter. Wow. Peter, finished the race. Finish your race. Not John's race. Finish your race. John will finish his race. You finish your race. And right here, this obviously speaks to the immense biblical value of endurance. Everyone listening at home right now, everyone, over, everyone here right now, listen, you, if, if, if we're going to do this, we have to anticipate the need for endurance. It's right here again. Finish line faith will not happen apart from endurance. Perseverance, it's impossible. Must be endurance. I thought of these Biblical verses this week that bust me so much. Hebrews 10, therefore do not throw away your confidence. Why? Which has a great reward. Again, the, the reward in our text today is so much about the Bible living for the reward. Why? For you have need of endurance. Church right now, who's that for right now? You, you child, have need of endurance. You have need of this. Why? So that, so that. When you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, what is promised and the reward. When you make it to the end, well done, good and faithful servant. But listen, you don't do this Christian life, man, in some kind of like easy going, sit back, do nothing, coast all the way, right into heaven. No, no, no. We have need of endurance. There's another verse I read just this weekend. Loved it so much. Revelation chapter 3 reminded, listen, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, because you have kept my word, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Listen, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. 
I'm coming soon. Everyone at home, I'm coming soon. Amen, amen, that's so good. Loved ones, be encouraged. Be encouraged the promise. I'm coming soon. So therefore, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown more than that coming in just a couple minutes. Hold fast to what you have that no one may seize your crown. You have need of endurance. You must continue with patient endurance. Finish the race. Finish your race. Fought the good fight, finished the race. The third metaphor is I've kept the faith. I've kept the, what, what does Paul mean when he says I kept the faith? He means this. It's Paul's stewardship of the gospel. His fidelity to sound doctrine. His loyalty to his commission from Christ. I have kept the faith. I made it to the end. I have not wavered from what is true. I stood on the ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I guarded the good deposit entrusted to me. I have not given in to false teaching. I did not capitulate to culture. I did not operate in the fear of man and forego the fear of God. I kept the faith. I did fear the Lord. It was a struggle. It was hard. But I kept the faith. And just think of that term in light of the opposition that Paul faced in life. Think of the temptation he must have heard to, to, to water down the message of, of the gospel. Just imagine the moments of Paul's life where he would, in a weaker moment, dream of the easier life. The temptation to capitulate to the culture. But instead, he kept the faith. He kept the faith. Again, is there any greater goal than life? I, I, I want, church, I want you to, brothers and sisters, Children, right now, I want you to think about that. Like, wh what is your goal? What are you trying to do in life? What's your ambition? Like, what are you ultimately living for? So many of our goals are so far below the actual call of the Christian life. What are your goals? What are you living for? Again, what's the ambition? There's no greater goal than to get to the end and to say, I've kept the faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only one that matters in the end. Everything else will just fade away. This is finish line faith, the fight for perseverance. It's truly inspiring to imagine Paul in his prison right now, rejoicing in his enduring life in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this too. Take stock of your life in Jesus Christ right now. Has your life for Christ, has your life for Christ required endurance? Has your life been a struggle maybe an agony of late as you seek to serve Christ? Has your life included fighting for faith? Struggling? Fighting for the faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has, has life been tough in these ways for you, for me, for us in Jesus Christ? Listen, if the answer to those are yes, then be encouraged, okay? Then you are precisely where you should be in genuine followership of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Christian life. If life is easy and you're coasting and things aren't difficult and there's no sacrifice and there's no struggle and there's no pain and none of that exists, I'd be worried. For real, I'd be worried. The whole call of the Christian life is a fight. It's a marathon. 
It's a struggle to keep the faith, to get to the end, to receive a reward when all things are made new and all evil and sin is dealt with once and for all. Church, it's supposed to be tough. And that's why we're so inspired by the perseverance before us here in these awesome verses. Spurred on by sacrifice, God, help us to live that way. Inspired by perseverance. And thirdly, this. Finish line faith. I am motivated by the crown of righteousness. I am motivated by the crown of righteousness. Look at verse eight now. Henceforth, because of this, because of this reality, henceforth, therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, capital D day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Loved ones, look, yet again, yet again, yet again, the secret ingredient to Paul's finish line faith, he's living for the reward to come. Church, massive, all listening right now. This is so massive. Listen, sacrifice now, celebrate later. Persevere now, perfection later. Lose now, that's right, lose now, eternal life, victory later. And central to verse eight, right, central to verse eight is this phrase, the crown of righteousness. The crown was literally a crown of victory granted to the winner in ancient Greek athletic games. Yet another sports metaphor by Paul. So combined here with righteousness, listen, it is an award of expected recognition that is due to the righteous in Christ. So I believe then this will be a reward to all those who persevered in righteousness for Jesus Christ. For those who kept the faith who persevered in righteousness for Jesus Christ. But of course, that is only possible by the grace and righteousness found in Christ to begin with. But the one leads to the other. A reward is coming. The crown of righteousness to those who persevere to the end by the grace and righteousness of Christ. It's going to be awesome. Imagine that moment. Imagine that moment, church. You receive the crown of right, whatever that looks like. The crown of righteousness, whatever it looks like, it's going to look awesome. By Christ himself. Well done. That'll help me fight the good fight for another day, amen? I mean, just think it's coming so soon. And this whole life looks like just a, just a, a vapor, a mist. Just a blur compared to eternal life. And eyes meeting eyes with Jesus Christ. And he presents, again, whatever form, he presents the crown of righteousness to his faithful daughter, his faithful son. Oh, Lord, help us to see. Help us to live. Again, look at how much this spurred Paul on. Just on a side note here, I just couldn't resist this. A side note, the word crown in the Greek is the word stephanos. Stephanos meaning Stephen. And you think of Paul coming full circle here. And Paul, when he oversaw the murder of Stephanos, of Stephen, 
watched Stephen be stoned to death, and he comes at the end of his life now in Christ, completely changed. And here he is at the end, and how much would he be thinking of? And now the crown of righteousness presented to him, the Stephanos, the Stephen, again, of righteousness. And just to think, man, the one he saw die, and here he is now, and just, man, all the meaning in between, and the glory of Christ. And just, just think about that for a second, just, just, just bless me. The richness of living for Jesus. But now notice the, the three, three promises related to the crown of righteousness in verse 8 on the screen for you. I want you to underline these in your Bible or do something, highlight them. Just look at the promises. So the crown of righteousness is the hub and then notice laid for me will award to me and not only to me. Let's take these one by one as we conclude here. Laid up for me, loved ones, the crown is waiting, the crown is waiting. I've been reading through Revelation in my own personal study recently, and I, of course, noticed the crown of life this week two times, the crown of life, the crown of life. You know that in the New Testament, James, Peter, Paul, and John all mention the crown, all of them. Some form of the crown, the crown that is coming, church, laid up for me those who are genuinely alive in Jesus Christ. And then notice, will award to me. Again, it will be awarded to you. Now, think of all the trophy cases on earth. Think of all the obsession with earthly trophies. In fact, I'll help you for a second. Take a look at this picture right here, okay? LeBron James, Tom Brady. That's a lot of trophies, church. That's a lot of earthly stuff right there that a lot of people literally worship over. Tom Brady's got six, six Super Bowl rings, all to my utter horror and terror as a Buffalo Bills fan. Never mind, okay? Six Super Bowl rings. Look, look at it. But in the end, like, you're just like, oh, wow, oh, wow. But in the end, in the end, when the day comes, as verse 8 says, and the day comes, every single one of these things is nothing, it's just, it's all gone. It just evaporates, burns up with fire. Instantly, the value of it is zero. And yet the poorest peasant on earth who is alive in Jesus Christ will literally be given the crown of righteousness. And in that moment, LeBron and Tom would give anything to have that crown to forfeit everything they've received on earth. If we believe this, can we start living it a little more, please? Like for real. Church, if we believe this, can we start living it a little bit more then? Like, can, like, can we seek first the kingdom then? And not the world, please? Like, can we actually substantiate that which we say we believe? God, can I do that more, please? And my family? If we believe this, can we, can we see by your grace us living this out? Because the day is coming, church. You see that right there? The day is coming. The day of the return of Christ is coming. And then notice thirdly, and not only to me, but to also all who loved his appearing. All who loved 
his appearing. I love this. The tense of have loved in that verb, have loved, this suggests those who have loved Jesus in his first appearing, Christmas, his life, who have loved Jesus in his first advent, the incarnation, and it also means, though, the continual longing and love for his second coming, his appearing to come in the day that he returns. It's right there in the tense of this verse. For all those who have loved when he came the first time and who long in love for when he will come the second time, those are the ones that will receive the reward. Notice the connection between the reward that is given and again, the understanding of the fruit of our lives. We love his appearing. Church, question, do you love the appearing of Christ? Do you love the incarnation? Do you love Christmas for the right reasons? Do you love the fact that Jesus Christ came in love and love and love? And do you now love and long for his second coming in the time he will appear again? Do you love? Do you love and long for him? Because listen, that is the fruit of those that's seen in our lives, of those who will be given the crown of righteousness, the reward on that day. For those who do not love his appearing, for those who do not love Christmas, his incarnation, and do not long in love for his return. They will not receive the reward because that indicates they are not alive in Christ. But notice the promise, but to all, to all, to all, to all who have loved his appearing. This is the fruit of those who live for Christ and not the world. Loved ones, the crown is coming. The crown is coming. Because Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. Lord, help us to understand this. And then we could say, listen, we could, we could say with such, such authenticity now, first coming, second coming, come thou long expected Jesus. Amen, church. Come thou long expected Jesus. Thank you for coming once and we long for your return again. Church, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father, work, work in this church. This is such an important time. These are such important words from your word, Lord. I pray you are bringing such conviction and courage. I pray you are bringing such love. I pray you are refining character, oh God. I pray you are moving. I pray, oh God, your kingdom come. I pray, oh God, your kingdom come. We need your kingdom to come. We need you to save lives, oh Lord. We need you to move. We need you. We need you to shine your light in darkness. We need you to give wisdom. We need you, Lord, to resurrect people from the dead. God, we need you. God, we need you. We pray so much. Yes, come thou long expected, Jesus. Move in this time. Every heart, oh, I pray, every heart. Young and old, all together. This church, everyone at home right now. I just, such a fervency, such an urgency, such a clarity of why we live and who we live for. Lead us now, Lord, I pray. Move in us now, we pray, as we respond in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, church.